Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Men's Room Podcast from TalkSport is proudly sponsored by Toolstation. If, like me, you love a little deal, then you can join the Toolstation Club today online, in-store or via the app, and you will save some money getting a 5% discount shopping with TalkStation, as well as a chance to get your hands on some fantastic prizes, such as TVs, gaming consoles, and even holidays. If you keep spending, you'll keep on saving. That's the TalkStation Club, so make sure you join today, online, in-store, or via the app. A Bosch. Hey guys, in today's podcast, we will be discussing themes involving depression and suicide. We understand this topic is difficult to hear and isn't for everyone. So if you are sensitive, please go and check out our other podcast episodes and we will see you in the men's room next time. I'm Adi Oladipo and welcome to the Men's Room Podcast alongside my sidekick, that's what he is, Rory Jennings. How are you, Rory? We're pursuing with that, are we? I, I think we, we might as well stick with it. It works, doesn't it? The numbers are good, no one's complaining, people love it. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that I'm happy being the sidekick. I've, I'm, but we'll go with it for one more week, but generally speaking, I want to reevaluate this. Let's stick with it. I think it works well and it sounds well as well. All right, this week we're discussing a topic that is hugely sensitive and for many difficult to talk about, and that's depression and male suicide. Um, you know, when you sort of hear those words, depression, so what, should, what, what first springs to mind for you? Relief, in a way, mm. that thankfully it isn't something that has been an affliction that I've had to deal with. Mm. And I think it is it is simply luck, isn't it? It's a lottery. I've been fortunate enough that this hasn't been something that I've had to contend with. Yeah. And it's also, what I'm also very aware of when we discuss something like this is my lack of understanding around it, because I think it is something that is so specific. And if you haven't ever experienced it, and thankfully mm. I haven't, mm. and nobody really close to me has experienced it, I think it's it's very difficult to comprehend exactly what it is. I remember, do you remember when, when we were young? I remember Stan Collymore was depressed. Yes. And at the time, it was just unfathomable to me how somebody so successful, so brilliant at what he did, mm-hmm. you know, he was an elite level footballer. I think people forget that when you talk about Stan Collymore. I think he was at Aston Villa when he said it. So he's a Premier League footballer, playing for England, making at the time massive amounts of money, 30, 50 grand a week. And no one could quite understand. I think he got a lot of backlash. Yeah, well, we, we at the time were very young. Mm. We, we at the time were very young when that came to uh, came to to the public consciousness. And I just remember finding it completely unfathomable. I couldn't process how somebody so successful, so so brilliant at what he did, could possibly be depressed. Because depression to me wasn't a psychological issue. It was... I didn't really have a definition for it. Mm. So obviously that was a long time ago. Was, Times well, have changed. Be, let's, you know, let's be frank. What was your honest opinion of it? Was it a case of, come on, roll your sleeves up. You know those terms that are thrown around? At that time? At that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At that time, if I'm completely honest with you, mm. yeah, that my, my approach would have been, what, what on earth are you talking about? How can you be? That's what I would have said. 
How can you possibly be depressed when you're that wealthy and that successful? Yeah. How can you possibly be? Whereas obviously, as you grow, it's our responsibility as humans to evolve, mm. learn more, become better than we once were. Mm. And that's certainly not the way that I view that issue now. But yeah, when I was when I was in my teens and I heard that somebody is successful and brilliant in his field as Stan Collymore was depressed, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, let's see if we can understand it a bit more. Uh, joining us for this very, very important episode, we have presenter, author and youth mental health ambassador for the government, Dr. Alex George. Alex, when you hear those words, and you probably remember the Stan Collymore um, story, when you hear Rory's words there, like that time, it was like kind of roll your sleeves up. What, what do you think? Well, thank you for having me both and good to, to meet you both. We were doing this episode, of course, on a very hot and warm uh, day. So I wish we were in a, a studio together, but uh, I think we were in a safe, warm, a safe, cool distance, shall we, uh, shall we say. <laughs> I'm in AC at the moment, which I'm rather glad of. We are very jealous of that. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, you, you, you're in the hot seats. Look, I mean, in a way, not, I'm not not surprised. I think the, and I, and I do remember, I'm not surprised to hear, you know, the kind of, there was backlash at the time. If you think about it, um, suicide was only abolished as a crime in the 60s, late 60s. Uh, and we still use the w words like committed suicide today. I mean, only to add a conversation with someone who I corrected and said, just be careful using the word committed because it's not a crime. And there's so much kind of weight to that and using that phrase. But it's so embedded within our society, this kind of stigma against mental health. Like, does it exist? What is it? What is mental health? What is mental illness? Uh, where does it come from? Um, but I think that, that I think that is changing, and um, I, I'm a big believer that we've got to allow people to learn and grow. Like, you know, there's words that we would use in the past that my parents have used, and you know, I've been used when I was younger that I certainly wouldn't certainly wouldn't use now. But you've got to be allowed to grow. And I mean, cancel culture is uh, I talk about this a lot. I think it's one of the most detrimental things, the most dangerous things to actually growth and learning in this country right now, where people aren't allowed to kind of go. Do you know what? The way I viewed this before wasn't right, or I made a mistake with that. I'm going to learn from it, you know? So mental health is one of those things we're all learning. Do you think mental health has sort of grown in depression because of sort of social media, the pressure, you know, for young people to look good and to have money and, you know, everyone posts stuff on Instagram that isn't necessarily their real life and Twitter can be almost a cesspool as well, which is quite difficult. Do you think that's sort of added to people's mental health or depression? I think it's, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not broadly, I think a little bit about like, I mean, mental health is something that we're understanding better because I think people realize that everyone has it. Like if you, you, everyone that has a heartbeat has physical health. Everyone has a heartbeat also has mental health. If you have a mind, you have mental health. It's just part of you, whether it's good, bad or in between. You know, I talk about this like spectrum, like one end of the spectrum, you might have brilliant, perfect mental health. Nothing ever bothers you. On the other end, you've got mental illness. So it's severe enough that it is an illness that afflicts your life and affects your day-to-day -day life, your life and people around you, right? Most of us are probably in the middle somewhere, move up and down, depending on life, things that happen to you, bad things that happen in your life. But also sometimes it can just happen where you slide down the scale for no reason. If you look at Stan, for example, yeah. you know, everyone thinking, gosh, he's got a great life. He's doing all this money, you know, social media, a lot of the time it wouldn't have, but now it would portray this footballer lifestyle and the cars and everything. But actually when it comes to your mental health, none of that stuff really matters beyond the basic needs of being able to eat the food each day and support your family beyond those financial needs, the, the, having all of this money doesn't correlate necessarily with being happy in your own mind and even mm. with the career and being lauded and so, so on. It's actually much more complex in a way, simpler, but in many ways, more complex when it comes to social media. I mean, people often ask me about is social media good or bad? 
ultimately it's both. I mean, in a way, it's almost the wrong question. I think the question should be like, how do we harness the good things about social media? For example, propagating people's understanding about mental health. This podcast will be, I'm sure, shared across socials. We're encouraging men to listen. I'm certain of hope and hopeful that men will listen and resonate and will help them. That's the good side of social media, right? The bad side is the comparison. Look at that footballer. He's so happy. He's so rich. Why yeah. don't I feel like that? Why can't I be like that? And I think that is the thing we need to harness on and get people to kind of understand how social media works. The fact that people generally post their highlight reels on there. I mean, that's talked about quite a lot, but you see a very certain side of people on social media. And I think it is changing. I think the days of like ultra filtered pictures and people looking pristine in every photo is kind of going. The trend now actually is just to be really real online, which is, which is good. Yeah, the, tr- the trouble is with it, though. It's very difficult to gain a proper understanding into somebody via social media, isn't it? Because, for example, you're always going to accentuate the positive. They're, they're the memories that you're making. You're not going to take a selfie on a packed tube when you're feeling a little bit low and you've had a terrible day at work. Like, that's not what we share. So it's it's very it's very easy, I think, for people of a certain age, maybe people of our age, to kind of look at it and understand that people are accentuating the positive. They may be sharing the good things because they've been through the bad things and they share the, the happy the happier side of things. But for young people, I think it can be very detrimental because they may not they may not have that equation. They may not realise that people are simply sharing the best day that they have they don't aware that they're not aware that to get to that photograph sitting on a beach in marbella they had to slog at 5am every day to to earn the money to get there people don't necessarily understand that and hopefully young people today will realize that there is a correlation between the photo that you see and that being the best person's day or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's two things there. I think first, firstly, I think you're right in the sense that what algorithms favor what people, what, what it believes people want to see and that propagates it. And I think, but the base point of that is that I think traditionally people have wanted to see this highlight glossy pics and everything's great and so on. But actually there is a change in what people, people do actually want to see that selfie on the tube. In fact, a lot of the time now, a lot, a lot of the biggest influencers get a lot more, say, engagement and likes and people actually genuinely caring about what they do when they post the more real photos. There is a bit of a shift there. But mm. the second point you make is incredibly valid. And I think that is really comes on to where, what my role is and what I want to achieve is that we have to teach young people about the algorithm, about how it works, the system, you know, the way the social media works. The, the problem for me with schools is that it is so based on an archaic system, an archaic belief of what people need to learn for society. Like the number one cause of stress in adults is financial, is financial stress, financial worries, right? When, when in school was, were we ever taught anything about financial health, which is a thing? So things like what's a mortgage? What is an ISA? How does money work? How, what, is a, what is fiscal currency? Now, what is cryptocurrency? Teaching people a little bit about like the basics of when you leave school to earn money, which is the reason we do an education, what, what do you do with money? How do you manage financial stress, for example? What, you know, why don't we teach more at schools about you know, not just like, uh, not not just in terms of you know learning that like maths, English, and so on. Why are we not teaching them about social media? Because let's be let's be frank, most jobs now, including healthcare jobs, a lot of them have a digital space or online space. So teach them how to use it properly, so they they can harness it for their business, for their work, whatever they're doing. But also teach them about how to protect themselves on the bad sides, because you can. There's a lot you can do. So the tips I say straight away, a lot of people I would say this to anyone is every month go through and cleanse your Instagram. 
look at your followers. Who are you following? Are they, do they, they inspire you? Do they make you feel happy? Do they teach you something that is beneficial to your life? If they're not one of those things, or they're a friend or family you really want to see on there, unfollow them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to spend, on average, people spend between two and four hours online per day. So if you're going to spend two and four hours, but for a good reason, you know, do it for something that's actually beneficial to your life. So think about your following curate the feed you know when you're seeing photos have that knowledge that you probably are seeing the shiny photo you've not seen the 5am training sessions that has led to that point and have perspective uh, and i think that those things if we can teach young people as they're growing up will avoid a lot of the pitfalls that social media currently creates i think alex can we quickly go back to mental health um is there is there still something st- sort of to say or t- to add about the old school mentality of rolling your sleeves up getting on with it sort of um as opposed to maybe what it is now like can we still use some of that old school mentality i think you spoke about it at the top um in today's society without it being sort of cast away like you you guys are relics yes but we can adapt well what i think is we can adapt it i think one of the big mistakes we're making at the moment is that we are expecting men to change and come to us and by us i mean to mental health to to getting support i think a lot of it is we've got to learn how to go to the men so 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 a good example right so there's um you know men we know this from, from stats, from evidence, from everything, that it's really hard to get men to come to a mental health clinic, to walk in the door and say, I need help. Right? It's really difficult. It's why we see spikes in suicide in the 40s and 50s. Okay, It's a real, real issue. And we know that of people in their 40s and 50s to take their own life, more than half of them never tell anyone that they're struggling. So we're failing to get those people to talk to someone. So we've got to think about, well, it's not working, so how do we change it? So rather than saying that 40, 50-year-old men who've grown up being told, don't cry, roll your sleeves up, be a tough, mm-hmm. be a man, have some balls, rather than trying to unlearn this like deep-rooted stuff, why don't we go to them? So there's a great, uh, in the South Coast, there, I believe it's called The Workshop, um, there's a group of guys thought, look, there's, there's a spike of suicides in the area that we do something about this. So they got a massive shed and they thought, right, what we're going to do is we'll make a workshop. So what they do every week, they get together with the guy, local men that want to come down, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, and they build things and they build things for the community. So if the park bench is broken, they build a park bench. And the reason that's beneficial is because you're bringing men together in a conven- with a convening power to do something physical that's building that's very like typically masculine. And it creates a space for conversations where guys are like, oh, yeah, do you know what, mate? It's difficult with wife at the moment, or this is happening, or that's happening. And the people that have organized this are trained in mental health first aid. If someone's really struggling and needs a bit more than just the kind of mates around them to talk it through, they link them into support through that way and bring psychologists in. So it's looking at other ways outside of the box. There's one in North London, a um, support hub, which was set up as a boxing gym. Okay, so it's, it doesn't have to be like everyone just says mental health thing. Oh, just white coats and clinics. It doesn't have yeah. to be like that. Do they not naturally exist, though, Alex? Is is that not the equivalent of football clubs? Is that like it, it's not it's not a mental health boxing facility is it it's a boxing facility and men like men will have conversations men will men will do that in all football clubs in in all boxing clubs yeah i mean so i guess the slight tweak with with this boxing club for example is what they do is they do an hours you can have hours free class of boxing you've got to do half an hour mental health training first uh, and and that and they have they tie in a psychologist but you're but you're right but the big thing we've seen one of the biggest problems is the demise of youth clubs i mean in the last decade they've absolutely been decimating communities so children are spending the time on phones or xboxes they're not climbing tree i grew up kicking a football around playing rugby climbing trees i was surrounded by friends i talked to people through issues my rugby coach i talked to them as much about you know things as anyone else you had that but 
we're seeing that people now are becoming more and more isolated more than ever. Even though in this digital age, you think everyone's connected, everyone's become really isolated. And you're right. Football, I mean, sport is one of the be- one of the best ways I think to deal with and look after your mental health. Is sport. It's just ama- it's amazing. You you know, growing up in Wales, I mean, the rugby ball is put in our hands. You know, you you grow up with that, and that's that that's just kind of how how I dealt with my mental health probably growing up was through sport. So we need to use the fundamentals and bring them back in. It's almost like we're not trying to create some hyper new, like some brand new ideas, trying to go back to the fundamentals of like men and people need good people around them. They need to be able to talk to people they trust. They need to be able to move their bodies and burn off energy and they need to be out of stress like not plugged into a laptop or emails all the time i remember about five years ago this is sort of my own personal story when i'd come back from nigeria i'd split up from my partner financially money was at its lowest and i generally didn't know what to do and i definitely sort of went through depression then like definitely i i I was just i kind of shut the door and i lived by myself i shut the door turned my phone off most days and was in a very very weird state um and i think my mum um god bless her would insist on coming around and kicking that door down and if it wasn't for that i, I kind of don't know where i would be right now and I, I remember um doing speaking therapy that was kind of put to me by someone because i was a bit sort of a bit wary of going to um therapy sessions i was asked to go to a group therapy session first and i was like i'm not doing that and again, that's just my ego talking. I'm not, I don't need that. But I then speak in therapy. I remember breaking down on the phone with speaking therapy, someone asking me what I would consider maybe trigger questions. And that then opened sort of my eyes to, okay, you are depressed. You are going through something. And then I went to group therapy and I did that for about 10 sessions. Um, and I would sort of, I stopped and I don't know why I stopped maybe because work came and sort of money went back in the pocket and I thought, okay, I'm okay now. But I would advise everyone, if you can, just to do a therapy session, just to have a conversation with someone. Because um, it benefited me massively. Because again, I was in a place where, and this is very, very personal, but I was in a place where I genuinely didn't want, I'm not going to say I was suicidal. I don't think it got to that stage with me, but I definitely was in a space where I didn't know what I was doing. Like no, like no idea what I'm gonna do in my life. I thought I'm just a mess. I was 35 at the time, maybe. So I thought, okay, I should have everything by 35. I should have a house, kids, mortgage. I remember thinking I had nothing. I remember I had like 38 pound 23 in my account. It's weird. I've still got the photo of that. I took a screenshot of it. I remember thinking this is as low as it gets. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to ask my mum, sisters for money. But again, my mum, who has this sixth sense of when something's wrong. Um, continually bombarded me and kind of helped me go for the therapy sessions. But I do think the black community, that's still very, very much frowned upon. Like it's an absolute no-no. It's more church and pray um, or just, again, roll your sleeves up and get on with it. And I don't actually mind that, but it is a lot of sort yourself out as opposed to do therapy sessions. Well, first idea, thank you so much for sharing that because to be honest, like when people listen to that and see you as what people would see as a uh, like a really masculine man, whatever that mm. means, but for you to share that is incredibly powerful. And you know, what, what you said there about therapy, I cannot, you know, and it's obviously a privilege to be able to have therapy, you know, obviously often in the NHS, but a lot of privately is a privilege that we have in this country, but it is something I would say, if, and if you can do one session, do one mm. because 
and, and it's fascinating. I've talked to loads of therapists about this. People always come and go, oh, but am I bad enough for therapy? Am I this or that? You know, everyone, other people have worse problems. It's not about that because even if you have, you're in a great place, understanding your processes of how you think and that what what happens because life happens right and we don't know when bad things will happen so if you have a better understanding of how you're going to react to something and also more importantly why you react to something you're able to kind of adjust that and when things crop up as they do they don't always kind of give you a signpost saying something bad's coming when something happens you're more ably more easily able to adapt and, and deal with that and, and my mum always used to say I mean mums are great aren't they they're, they're, they're amazing I mean, my mum always used to say to me like a problem shared is a problem halved and I, bre- yeah. I believe that's so true like we don't humans are not meant to carry things on our own we are designed to live in groups in clans that's how humans are designed to be so when a man is isolated a man is an island on their own and they're carrying something on their own that's not how a problem is supposed to be dealt with that's just going against all again and fundamentals of of, of nature but you know I, i'm a big believer that everyone goes through something in life no one has a clean run of everything's rosy and shiny uh, all, all, all the time and what we don't want to lose people people like yourself who've gone on to, uh, amazing things gone to good to go to do good things to, to suicide because you know suicide is a um is a permanent solution to what is a temporary problem and, you know, back, if you go back to that moment, I'm not saying you were suicidal, but say that for a fact you were suicidal at that time, mm. you, know, what, you know, what if you'd have not seen the opportunities that you have now, the life that maybe you're now, and obviously don't know your headspace now, but I mean, assuming that things are better than they were there then, you know, you might not have known that things would get better. Do you know what I mean? When things yeah. are in the darkest times, you can't see a way out. And, you know, my, it's almost coming up to two years since my brother took his life. And I mean, if if I could say to him now, and he should be 20, he should be 21 years old now, you know, if I could say to him now, like, geez, like, mate, if you'd have, if we could have dealt with that stuff at the time, or if you'd have reached out and talked to someone, he could be in a different place now. He's supposed to be in med school. He'd be in the second year of medical school, you know, hopefully having a completely different space. And I think the great shames and on society is a reflection on society is where uh, a man or a woman, but often it is men, will go to extent to take their own lives, which is a permanent, there's very few decisions in your life that are absolutely reversible. There is no reversal. There's very, there's almost, ev- almost everything in the world can be reversed. You cannot reverse a suicide. And so someone will take that decision that's so finite rather than get help, rather than just being able to speak to someone. That is a terrible reflection on society. So it does show how far, yes, we are, we're coming along, but we've got a way to go, you know, and, and you talk about, you know, the black community. I mean, when I made my documentary, Our Young Mental Health Crisis, I'll be honest with you, the community that we really, really, really struggled to engage, to get to engage with the documentary was the black community. And yeah. when, you know, a lot of what I heard was the cultural pressures, uh, the way that it was so taboo um, and the kind of, I guess, yeah, like I kept hearing like, but we know, you know, uh, engage religion and actually religion is, is very important to recognize that religion actually for a lot of people is a great way to support their mental health for many obvious reasons it's literally practicing mindfulness but it was it was difficult and and i think that you know another community which is a huge high hugely high rates of suicide a farming community farmers working on their own a lot in the countryside a very much kind of masculine group of, of people and we see so much suicide in that group because it's like no no no, we're not engaging with that that's not for me and so we do so i do think we it's not only there's only that point around talking we need to talk to the right people engage the right groups so that you know the can all communities go do you know what it's a real thing 
it's not a bad thing. And actually, if you're going through something, you can get to the other side. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that, Alex. That's that's a hor- horrific story. Thinking back to that time, did you notice anything? Were there any indicators that your brother was perhaps looking for help could you sense that there was something going on well i mean if you throw it was two years ago it was kind of at that time just as covid was slightly having a breather and and he was due to have his like a level results i mean he 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 was i think at that time he was quieter than he usually was but it wasn't and there wasn't anything that we didn't know i mean it was a complete shock put it like that when the phone rang it you know he wasn't struggling as, as we understood with mental illness, but that's why it's known as the silent killer. I mean, people, mm. it, because you can't physically see something a lot of the time, you don't know unless someone tells you, you know, if someone's broken a leg or someone's got a, a, an infection, they've got a cough, you know, you, you know someone's got a cough because you can hear them. You can, there's something like, what's going on? Are you okay? You're coughing. Um, obviously, <laughs> coughing is not a good thing these days. I mean, it seems you've got COVID, but uh, it, it, it's, it, it's, there's an assumption there. Uh, but with him, yeah, it was the biggest shock. I mean, I was out for, um, literally sat, just sat down to go for dinner with some friends. We we're about to order a drink or whatever. And my dad rung and I mean, I, I heard his voice and you, there's a certain voice when something really bad's happened. And I just said to him, who's died? As soon as I hear him say Alex, and I was like, who's died? Because I just knew from his voice that there's something like truly horrendous had happened. He said, uh, you know, Cleo's dead, he's died, he's passed away. And I was like, literally the whole world changed in that moment it was almost a realization that life will never ever be the same again it will always change it'll always have changed you know he's 10 years younger than me he was mini me in many ways he loved i love motor racing i love rugby i love sport and he you know he was the same as me in that sense you know he was going on to be a doctor um so yeah it, it, it your life changes and for us like there's never a moment where that empty seat on the table is okay you know, and, and I'd say I'm not isolated in this scenario. I mean, uh, on average, 84 people in uh, in in the UK, uh, sorry, in England, take their lives each week. 84 people, which, it, and I think the important thing to think about is that, and I, I kind of resonate a little bit at the start, Rory, when you're talking about um, whether you've been affected by it, and it's one of those things where you can, if you're fortunate not to have had any immediate family or, or to yourself, then, then obviously like, it's, a, it's a blessing and we pray nothing happens. But put it like this, when Cleo died, it wasn't just the close family that were affected. My mum talks about it, how you drop like, a little pebble into a bucket full of water and it ripples and ripples and ripples. Like it's not just Cleo's life that's lost or harmed it's everyone that ever knew him you know people that came to his funeral who stood outside because of course at the time there was only 12 of us allowed in there which was horrific as it was for a young person but you know all of these people from the school friends and the teachers anyone that's ever met him you know all these people's lives have changed the doctor that um you know our gp a family gp that known all his life he's affected by it you know it, it the ripple is just like that so i don't think it's just 84 people's lives that changed each week it's it's probably more like eight or nine ten thousand i mean how many people when one person dies especially a young person the impact is huge so yeah if we can save those 84 people a week we're going to help a lot more people than that not just even those lives lost what what do you think can be done because you mentioned Sort of, no one really knew this was going to happen to your brother, Clear. I, mean, I remember again when I was going through depression. You know, I would still go out and dress well and have a laugh, and no one would, no one would really know what was going on until it's almost like a facade I was putting on. And when I got in and shut the door, then I could almost be myself again and just really struggle. But when I was outside, no one would have an idea. Like it'd, it'd almost be impossible for people 
to understand that there's something that's going on. So uh, I, I kind of wonder, is it sort of bigger names speaking out about this? Like Tyson Fury's mentioned he struggled with mental health. You heard Stan Collymore. Many people now are coming out. It's not taboo anymore. Is that what we need more of? Well, the thing is, I mean, there's two things that I think, firstly, it's, it is still taboo. Um, and then the reason that we, we know that is that there, we, there was recently a really big survey of, um, of people across Britain and mental health. And if basically looking at like, if you were struggling, would you ask for help? Over half still said no. So over half of people, even if they're really struggling, wouldn't ask for help in their mental health. So you've got to ask why. And when you break that down, I think the issues that we have to deal with to change this, number one, we need to look at prevention rather than just cure. And that has to be teaching around well-being at school. We know that children that are happy and healthy are more successful in school, not just in terms of their mental health, they're more successful at academics. So that if you look at it, you know, this country is pretty low down on the charts, European charts of education. But then most of the schools are really high up, have less focus on exams and direct academia and more focus on well-being. If you look at the like Nordic countries and so on, they focus on developing that child as a whole person, understanding sleep, understanding nutrition, understanding the role of exercise, of sport, of all these different things to build them into this well-rounded person that can deal with life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at this way, if you get the students got straight A stars and A's, fantastic. But if they can't cope with failure in life, then what's the point? I mean, you, you, you're, you know, you're sports people. You know that it doesn't matter how damn good you are, you will fail and you'll fail so mm. many times and you've got to pick yourself up and go again. But if you crumble every time you hit uh, a difficult time, then, 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 then there's no good you being the most talented footballer or rugby player in the world. You've got to be able to pick yourself up from, from, uh, from those scenarios. So we must educate young people, A, to how to talk about emotional health. So we talk about emotional literacy, how to look after themselves, how to spot it in others and what to do if you are struggling. If you f- get those fundamentals right, you'll see a lot less kids dropping out of school. I think you'll see truancy improving. Academics will improve. Behaviour in class will improve. The other aspects, if you sort of park education for one side, you then need to get people talking. That's where I think big role models in sport and music and these things, people who've been through something, talking, what you've just done earlier on now, that is going to, even that one guy relates to you and goes, I feel like that. They might go and talk to someone. I've seen it happen. I've experienced mm. I've had people come back and say to me, someone bought me a beer on Friday and said, I was really suicidal uh, last year and I saw a campaign you did and I'm here. Uh, and, you know, you see the feedback of that. And then the other part of it is that we must fund support services properly because the other issue we have is that a lot of men don't want to go and get help because they think, well, I'll be told you've got to wait two years, a year or whatever. You know, what I think is shocking, imagine this, right? So at the moment, there is half a million young people, so children, you're half a million children on the mental health waiting list at the moment, half a million children. That's what was that six Wembley stadiums of children waiting with suffering. Some of those children will wait two and a half years to be seen to get help. Those children mm-hmm. might be cutting themselves. They might have eating disorders. They might be severely depressed. They might even have mm-hmm. ideas of suicide. Yeah. So they're just sitting, those stadiums full of sitting and waiting. How long would you wait if a young child had a lump in their neck and it might be cancer? Seven days yeah. max? Yeah. What kills more young people, suicide or cancer? And suicide. In fact, the biggest killer of, of everyone under the age of 35, 40 is, is suicide. So we need to fund those services so that if someone goes to GP, they're not told you have to wait two and a half years. You're seen now because it's so, I mean, it's so obvious. You don't have to be a doctor to realize if you leave a problem, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. If it hasn't fixed itself by the point you've gone to the doctor, it's probably going to get a lot, a lot worse. We also know in terms of cost benefit, 
if you invest in early intervention, like support hubs, which we talk about and, and incorporate um, sport, when, even when these support hubs, it's a lot cheaper as well. The average cost of a child being admitted to a mental health unit in a hospital is £250,000 per child, 250 grand. I want to put 190 hubs in England, which will cover a, a large proportion of England. Uh, they'll cost a million pound a hub. That's 190 million with 10 million pound for evidence and, uh, and data collection. That will help half a million children per year. So if we prevent half a million kids end up being admitted to a hospital, how much money do we save? So the economic argument is very, very strong for that. So the, my point is, we've got to invest in early interventions. We've got to make sure people aren't waiting long times. Because if would you go to the, if you're going to wait two and a half years, you think, you know what? Why would I bother? Yeah. What's the point? Wait mm. two and a half years. You won't wait these days. We, we we're annoyed if Amazon delivery two days late, let alone you know yeah. <laughs> waiting for anything that long. Especially considering how difficult the subject is and the bravery to talk about it. The last thing you want to do is then have to wait for someone to see you or for your um, for your case to be assessed. You know, a, a lot of this, and I realize it is, re- is relating to men. You know, you mentioned 84 sort of people commit suicide a week in this country. How many of those are men? Uh, a significant proportion. You're 10 times more likely, so we could do the maths on that, but you're 10 times more likely to take your own life if you're a man. Why? Why is this, Alex? Uh, a huge amount of it is our um, societal expectations of men. People call it toxic masculinity. You could call it what you like, really. But, I mean, look at it. Look at it this way. I'd use my dad as an example. And my dad would say this. He's grown up and been told, get up. Big boys don't cry. You know, get on, man up, roll up your sleeves. Don't be a whatever. Like loads of different words for saying, basically, don't share your emotions. So men are conditioned mm. not to talk about how they feel. So surprise, surprise, when they feel really awful. And I, and I, and I um, again, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but imagine as a lot of people do, when you're feeling rubbish, the last thing you can do is talk to someone. Do you feel yeah. rubbish? You don't want your mum to come in. You don't want to speak. A lot of things that are actually good for you, you don't want to do because you feel rubbish. So when you're conditioned not to talk about how you feel and you feel awful, you don't say anything. And that's how they end up in this spiral to the point where they actually, in, it's easier to take your own life as a simpler route than actually to talk to someone. But if you wired that all the way back and went back to the start and said, no, we'll condition men who... Yes, you can be tough and you can be strong, you can be resilient, you can be masculine, but also be able to talk about your feelings, good and bad, and talk to someone when you're struggling. You prevent that huge spiral down and you prevent that happening. And that's what happens in women. So women, generally speaking, will talk to other women very early on when they're struggling. So problems identified, they're dealt with, and they're shared very early on. And that's why... That's, that is probably the biggest reason why men, unfortunately, t- are much more likely to take their lives. I mean, I don't want to presume, but if if Thea was a man, would he have, if he was a woman, sorry, would he have talked to, to another girl or to someone in a you know, female friendship group? Would they have talked about problems? Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. I mean, you don't know for sure, but probably. Would that then lead to be it, it being picked up earlier? Probably. You mentioned the numbers of people that struggle with mental health. There's going to be sort of thousands listening to this. Um, if they are going through something, where's the best place for them to seek help immediately? One of the things I will say, and, I, and, and I, I think it's very important, not just for you, but for other people around you, know where to sign post, post people to get help. You never know when you get a glimpse in someone's life where they open up to you and say, do you know what, mate, I'm struggling. Mm. And you, what, you, you, what you don't want to try and do is fix people. I would advise this, to be parents listening to this, don't try and fix your children. Don't try and fix your friends. Our human instincts want to dive in and say, no, no, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And it ends up a lot of the time being like, come on, you're fine, make it on with it. Life's not that bad, whatever. You're just trying to help, but it doesn't help. And then a good example with women, which I think is easy to, easy to understand. I mean, it's not fair because actually, you know, it's affect men as well. But 
say, you know, a young girl, if a young girl, you know, comes to you and says, you know, to your daughter, like, oh, um, you know, I, I, I feel this way, I feel really fat or, or, or something like that. And you go, oh, you're beautiful, don't be silly, like you're really thin. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is removing validation from how they feel and you're pushing that person into more isolation. So that's why I say don't fix is important. Listen, listen to what they're saying. So I'm here for you, done all the answers, but I'm here for you and we're going to go through this together, mate or daughter or whoever it is, colleague, we do it together. This is where we're going to go for support. And if I was going to tell anyone somewhere, know the hub of hope. This guy, the guy that's not the hub of hope, I think is an amazing individual. And the, and the reason he's not the hub of hope is because he realized there's so much support out there. There really is a lot of different support out there. But if you don't know about it, it's useless. It's only beneficial to you if you know about it. So what he did is he thought, well, I'll bring together all these support services into one website where you can click on, you've got a hub of hope, put in your postcode, and he'll tell you all of them, what mm-hmm. they do, when they're open, how you access them. So if you remember hub of hope, you've got it there for yourself or for other people. And it can... It, it might save someone's life. It might be yours. It might be someone else's. So, so try and remember that, I would say. Uh, Dr. Alex George, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much um, for being so open and honest about your brother as well. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's not an easy conversation. Thanks, Doctor. Thank you. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to hurt in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Men's Room Podcast on TalkSport is proudly sponsored by Toolstation. This is your little reminder that you can join the Toolstation Club today online, in-store, or via the app. You might be thinking, why would I sign up? But I'm glad you asked. At Toolstation, if you keep spending, you keep on saving. Signing up means that not only will you get a lovely 5% discount shopping with Toolstation, but there are thousands of prizes to be won. So that's the Toolstation Club. So make sure you join today online, in-store or via the app. Tough conversation. Yes. Tough conversation. Yes, mate. Very revealing, very interesting. Um, Did you know that about me? No, I didn't realise that you'd. I didn't realise that you'd been to that, therapy sessions that, yeah. effectively. No, mm. I didn't realise that you'd been through that. Yeah. Um, yeah, mate. It's, I mean, I, I appreciate that. There's there's an element of bravery in in that as well. You know, yeah. that having to having to go to something like that. It's well, not the bravery. It's was, tough. I think. The bravery was almost admitting. I, I, yeah. I need help. Like yeah. almost admitting. Like I've I've tried everything. You yeah. know, like it's funny because you know we say like man up. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a fan of that, by the way. I believe there's a place for it. I'm not just, mm. a, there's, there isn't a case of all the old school rules are thrown out the window. Yeah. I'm not one of those people at all. But it's almost like, I've tried. I remember yeah. thinking I've tried. Like I've literally like done everything I think I could have done and I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that because that's the reason. 
that's the reason that I would never go. Yeah. The reason I would never go is because I would never want to openly admit that there was a problem. Yeah. But perhaps that isn't, you know, I mean, I think I'm with you as well. I think that it's it's very important that these initiatives take place. It's very important that people open openly acknowledge that there can be a place for this. But again, I do also You're not agree. scary. And Nothing wrong with being resilient, is it? That. No, not, no. Nothing wrong with being tough. Be Nothing wrong with applauded. like doing your best yeah, it should for be yourself. Applauded. It shouldn't be a case of people look down on you like, oh, you know, if you're fighting, you can get help. No, 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 I want to fight. Mm. I want to yeah, see exactly, if I can yeah. go through this. Um, his brother, Clear, surprised me just because I thought he was an adult because then you think of what I mentioned you know where you think you should have everything mm. as an adult house you know kids yeah. car good money you know you feel like you're, you're a man for someone to commit suicide as a teenager yeah that that's that shocks me it's, yeah, it's always it's horrific isn't it yeah. but do you, do you know it was during the COVID period wasn't it yeah when life was so difficult for yeah. so many people mm. like particularly for that generation I think like that generation should have been having a great time at university going to Freshers Week or whatever and they were all doing their university lectures from their yeah. from their home it, it, for that for that generation I think I think Covid hit everybody really hard yeah but if you were if you were 18 19 during that period I think it's really tough yeah really tough because it affected you so so drastically yeah and it must be the journey to go from I'm just depressed so yeah. you know I'm not feeling good I'm depressed to go from that to then potentially going to self-harm which again is way beyond my even thought process of mm. how you could do that. But to go from that to that, then to okay, I'm going to commit suicide. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That that journey there. Yeah, that's. I that's, mean, it just a, it must just be a hopelessness yeah. that is impossible for for the average person to understand. Yeah, where you think death is the only option. Yeah, like that's or, the, or is the, the best the, the best option. the best option? Yeah, that's the that's the chosen destination yeah. no it's it's horrific it's obviously horrific and it's and it's very you know it's vital mm. that these initiatives take place so yeah. it's it's it does feel like we're moving in the right direction i think the only problem when i mentioned it or my mum found out and then i won't remember <laughs> it's funny because we had a family meeting my mum loves to call family meetings oh, really uh, every month there's a family meeting <laughs> everyone Gather around. <laughs> like, well, like when Chris Moltisante comes out of the yeah, bathroom yeah, in The yeah. Sopranos. Like and you're like sitting that, there. Yeah. It's a gangster. So my mum sits in the <laughs> same position, doesn't move. And everyone goes around. And I kind of opened up to my family. And bear in mind, I've got a couple of brothers that are very, you know. Masculine. Masculine. Bit road. You know what I mean? Mm. I've got a sister that's very masculine as well. It was almost like my mum for certain periods. So I was like, I don't really want to open up to these lot. Yeah, it's very it's very difficult. Plus, again, that stigma about black people not opening up is quite true. Yeah, and then the prayer thing, and I was like, "Mum, this isn't a prayer thing." Because so my mum's very prayerful. Like, it's literally anything. Yeah, she's starting. Like yeah. yeah, she's starting. She's starting to pray. How did your like, brothers react? Difficult, actually. That's interesting. You say that because my um, my sisters immediately reached out. So you know, everyone opens up, and I leave the house, and my sisters all kind of reached out the next day. Oh, where, where are you? I'm coming around. And I didn't really want it. Mm. Like, don't do that, people. I'm coming around. Where are you? Let's go out for a drink. And I'm like, calm down, everyone. It isn't, you know, yeah. I'm not on the verge of jumping off a cliff. We're okay. Mm. It's not that bad. My brother didn't reach out at all. Which didn't reach out at all. Mm. I, and I, know, I don't know what to make of it. I didn't know if he was more... It's interesting. I don't know I think, I, think like, I don't necessarily think that it's born out of not being supportive. Not not being in touch could also be a, yeah. could also be a message, couldn't it? So mm. there's... I th Weirdly, I feel like there's a message of support in there. 
Yeah, like you're gonna get through this. Yeah, I don't need yeah, yeah, that. you're fine, mate. I, I'm not gonna pat yeah. you on the back. Yeah, you're fine. Or call you. You're gonna get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. It. I'm not pandering. I'm not involved yeah, in this. You, you're, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it is. It is interesting. And look, it's it is brilliant that people like Dr. Alex have, are out fighting the cause and making sure that there are options for people when they are at their lowest ebb. Yeah, look, he's been through the lowest, mm. so it's personal to him. And look. And that's a question I maybe should have asked him. What was it like for him in terms of this push to promote mental health prior mm. to your brother passing? Because um, obviously he's clearly gone up another level. And you would, wouldn't you? Like we both have said, obviously I went through my own stuff, but we both said in terms of people that we know, we don't know anyone that's been through it. No. Personally. No, no, he's no. had the worst phone call you could possibly ever have. Yeah. So that would drive him on to obviously clearly become the man he's no, become no. today. Deep, deep pod, Eddie. Deep pod, deep pod. This is what the men's room podcast is about. We know we'll have some fun ones as we have. We'll also have some that address, I guess, difficult conversations, Mm. difficult conversations. And look, the idea of these conversations is that we can help you. You know, we can help you because again, you look at someone like me, what do you call me? Um, The housewife's favourite. Housewife's favourite, right? Not today though. Not today. (laughs) Flip flops and socks and all sorts going on. You can't see the bottom half. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea is we have these conversations and, you know, it opens up people and they can reach out feel free to reach out to myself and to Rory if you are struggling and get in touch and get in touch as well make sure you leave a comment on this as well that's the good thing leave a comment underneath the video if you are struggling and then it creates a conversation within the comments uh, Rory as always my man appreciate it thank you very much make sure you download all our other podcasts as well from wherever you download your podcast from and if you again you're like me and you prefer to watch it go to TalkSport's YouTube channel and you can watch it there Tool Station are the proud sponsors of the Men's Room Podcast on Talk Sport. Join the Tool Station Club today online, in store or via the app, and you will save some money getting a 5% discount shopping with Tool Station, as well as a chance to get your hands on some fantastic prizes, such as TVs, gaming consoles, and even holidays. If all that isn't enough, then remember, if you sign up, then you will get loads of exclusive discounts that aren't available anywhere else. That's the Tool Station Club. So make sure you join today online, in-store, or via the app. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.